Hi everybody, I'm your hot with Scott Kellner and you are tuned in to Digital Mentorship. Digital Mentorship is a podcast designed to educate college juniors, seniors, and current professionals about career possibilities. If you can think about what you wanted to do when you were declaring a major or getting ready to graduate, is that anything close to what you ended up doing? Do you think somebody else getting ready to graduate has any idea that a job or career or your business even exists? The goal of this podcast is to help narrow the gap between what individuals think their career must be and what it could be. Disclaimer time. Scott Kellner works in the private wealth management industry, and it's possible investments or securities are talked about in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Was the summer of fall. Hello and welcome to this episode of Digital Mentorship. My name is Your Hot with Scott Kellner, and I'm very excited to have my friend Jen Swindler on the show today. Um, Jen is currently a a financial planning researcher at Facet Wealth Management, right? And um, you're pursuing your master's in financial planning and analytics from Utah Valley University, where you also got your uh, BS in personal financial planning. Um, and you and I know each other, um, from our time together at, um, Albion financial group. Um, so Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm luckily getting on an earlier work schedule lately. So waking up early on a Saturday is easier these days. (laughs) It's easier these days. I know you're very busy. I appreciate you taking the time because, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show. You have finals coming up. You're doing your summer block. Uh, how much school do you have left? I mean, this is, you have this, you, you're, you're probably almost done. No, I started last fall. So oh. this is going to be, after I finish this semester, I'll be halfway done. Halfway. And so we'll probably take about another year after that. And so let's talk about... Um, you know, kind of how you've decided to get into financial planning and get into this business. And then maybe let's go back to, to the degrees that you're, that you're pursuing. Um, how did you decide to get your CFP? Well, I mean, it's kind of multiple different things that happened in life along the way that got me to that point. But one of the big things was seeing my dad's situation really kind of devolve financially He was, when he was about 50, he was ready to retire early and had had a really successful career as an attorney, had been really frugal, saved a lot of money along the way. And then my mom got diagnosed with cancer and passed away within a year. And throughout that process, you know, being obviously an expensive thing to go through. And then my dad ended up remarrying pretty quickly to a woman 20 years younger than him. And then they started a family together and ended up really kind of starting him from scratch with money and going through a lot of houses year after year and really high spending lifestyle. And now he's 70 years old and doesn't have a lot to his name, has kind of had to do a phased retirement because he's getting to the point where he doesn't want to be working, but he's still has to a little bit and seeing him go through all of this along the way made me really aware of the importance of spending wisely throughout your entire life. Even if you work for 
25 years successfully, you can destroy it in 10 or less very quickly. And so that was something I think that got me really aware of my own finances and something that got me interested in it. But I, I got married young. So I was 23. I just turned 23 when I got married and I was married to somebody who had a lot of financial problems, just debt that they didn't want to deal with a lot of money avoidance issues. And I've gotten really into the behavioral side of finance lately. So a lot of these things have made a lot more sense to me in the last year than they did at the time when I didn't know a lot about it. But a lot of habits that were that come from this, this money avoidance tendency. And it was throughout that relationship, as it was coming to an end that I realized, not only did I need to be financially independent, because I wasn't going to stay in the marriage, but I had learned that I was really passionate about managing money. And I had along the way tried to help a lot. I had put a lot of my own money onto my ex-spouse's debt and done everything I could there. But along the way, I'd realized that I cared a lot about doing this and I wanted to help people to improve their situations. And especially from a behavioral aspect of things, helping people to dig into the stuff in their childhood and the things that their family did and the way that their parents spent money and how significant that was on them, the impact that it had. So anyway, it was coming out of that marriage that I went into UVU's personal financial planning program. And honestly, from the first intro class I took, they talked about the CFP and it was kind of like a, at that, in their program, it's, it's just what you do. You just go for the CFP and they kind of talk about it in a way that that's what you do in this industry if you want to be like a gold standard planner, basically. So I think I just came in a little bit biased with that approach where all the professors just assumed that you would do it from day one. And so along the way, though, it didn't make sense to do it. And then I also went for the accredited financial counseling designation while I was there because that was another option at UVU. Well, and I think that's an interesting thing. So it was very, well, it was very personal for you, this decision. Yeah. It was very personal. Um, and and thank you for sharing that background, um, you know, about your family and about your, um, and about your marriage. Um, and, but I think that's an interesting thing about UVU um, and that they have this very uh, like specific or like focused program. And I know that, and I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that come out of that program and, you know, and have careers in financial planning. Um, and maybe just talk a little bit about your experience at UVU and that, in that program, if you'd recommend it to other people, um, what, what would you, you know, would you, would you tell your friends and family to, to pursue that program if they were interested in financial planning? Yeah, I think that the professors are excellent. Most of them studied at Texas Tech, which is one of the top financial planning universities in the country. And UVU is getting up there now, which is cool. But most of the professors got their master's or their PhDs as well at Texas Tech and really good. I feel like they were great teachers. Most of the classes were really engaging and I learned a lot throughout my classes, which a lot of people can't necessarily say about all the professors <laughs> that they've worked with and there's a lot of opportunities to get engaged in the industry while you're still in school I was able to go to three different conferences that the school paid for along the way and 
One of them was the Bob Ferris Insiders Forum, which was really amazing to attend. There's so many kind of high profile people in the financial planning world that I got to meet. And I feel like that really helped me to see what it looks like on that side of the industry. Cause most of the people who attend are the fee only RAA owners or that's their space. And it was a really awesome opportunity. And I was able to do a competition as well while I was in school where we, it was the AFCPE conference. We were able to travel to Norfolk, Virginia. We competed. We got second place, barely lost to Texas tech. And then I was also able to go to the Adisa conference in Las Vegas. So those are really awesome opportunities. And then they do so much networking, although they invite professionals from all over the place to do these speed networking, kind of like speed dating events where you get to have a few minutes to talk to people and hand out your resume. And uh, honestly, I think the only thing of note that was maybe wouldn't it maybe be a positive for everybody is that the program is pretty much hundred percent white, mm. 75% male and almost all belonging to the predominant religion. So I didn't really fit in super well with the student base, but I did end up finding a little group there that I was, that some of my best friends came from the program, but it was kind of a small little group of us that were not in that main demographic. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, one of our old colleagues, David Clark, who uh, has been on the show um, is always, he always talks about finding those pockets of counterculture and how important that is, um, you know, when you live in a, in a state or a region that is predominantly, uh, uh, you know, one religion, you know, or something like that. And um, so that's cool. So, and, and then that, that relationship that you have with those people is like kind of strong because it's like, Hey, you and me, yeah. right? you want to form, like, form an <laughs> alliance, right? And, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, but maybe I know this is something that's near and dear to you and something that you care a lot about is, and that you just mentioned is that the program was predominantly male. Um, I mean, how important is it? Or how, I mean, how many opportunities do you feel like there are for females in this, um, in this, in this industry? Like how, you know, how, um, and I guess, how do you, how do you try to impact change? Um yeah, I think there are a lot of jobs for sure for women. And there's a lot of cases where you would get a job partly due to that fact, just in reality. But I think there's a lot of places that are doing that really as a show. I mean, the first place I worked at was definitely that way. And so I think you have to be really cautious about going into a place if there's almost no women, I think you have to know that you might be the trailblazer. You might have to be the one that goes in there and points out things that people are saying that are not okay to say, or you have to be the one that convinces them that women are just as capable in that space. At least that was my experience going into a firm where there were almost no women. And I've seen along the way that the more women there are at the firm, the less you have to fight those things. And it's like, they've already kind of gone in and trailblazed a little bit, but I, I think there are lots of jobs out there for sure, but it's kind of what you're willing to, to do to push things forward. And I, I personally, I wanted to be that trailblazer, but I ran into so many roadblocks along the way that I ended up going to Albion, which part of the reason I took that job was because they had mainly female advisors. I knew that I wasn't going to, 
not be taken seriously because of being female. And then again, at Facet Wealth, that was a huge thing for me too. It was really important that they had a lot of female advisors and it wasn't going to be something that I'd have to go in and prove myself over and over and over again to have a chance. So I think that there are some roadblocks as well. And it depends on the culture of the company. Because I think there are some companies, I would say Facet is one where you would never, it, it doesn't even seem like it's an issue. Everyone, there's so many female advisors that are amazing, taken very seriously. I mean, I think all the female advisors are taken very seriously, but I do think that there are places that are hiring women to look like they're creating diversity. And you, those are the places to be kind of cautious of, I guess. Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> that could be. Um, I like what you said about being being a trailblazer, but that does seem like it could put a lot of pressure on you, or it could be kind of stressful, or or um, um, and that was, I guess, a nice thing. That was a nice thing about Albion was it was very balanced between men and women, um, and um, I guess so. Taking a step back from professional stuff, um, let's talk a little bit about your art and your graphic design work, and <laughs> and just you've always been into art. And um, I know you did some some graphic design stuff for us at Albion. Um, and just maybe talk about where does that passion come from for art? Do you think? I have always, since I was a little kid, loved art and. I think it really came from my parents being so opposite from each other, where my dad is this lawyer who's practically like on the spectrum. He, he might be on the spectrum. He's so unemotional as a person and does not have empathy for other people. He doesn't understand emotions. Emotions make him very uncomfortable if you display them. But he's just this very logical, mathematical person. And he was really successful as an attorney because of that. And then my mom was an amazing violinist and she was she had so many friends she was really empathetic with people and she they were they were very different from each other and I think that her love of music and art was given to pretty much all of her children and then we all happened to also be pretty logical and good with numbers and I think that that came from our dad and so it's an interesting thing because I have this combination of the artistic side of things as well as the analytical side of myself. And I've always wanted to find a way to combine those in this industry because I think it's a little bit rare to have both of those aspects. But yeah, so that's one of that's the one I did a few years ago, that painting behind me. And it's kind of just, I like the brightness of it, but I have a lot of different stuff that I get into. I have a little bit of a hard time sticking with one medium for a very long time. So done a lot of stuff and a lot of graphic design, hoping to get back into that with my current researcher role, creating some infographics and educational materials for planners and clients as well. Can I, um, can I share some, can I share my screen and show some of your stuff? <laughs> I don't know what you're going to show, but yes. I'm just going to show your Instagram page. Okay. All right. Can you see? Yeah. This is cool. I like, I love, um, this Kobe one is super cool. Um, yeah, I did that. I did that one for my boyfriend when Kobe died because he is a, a big Kobe fan. So, and then there's, and then this one. is the one that's behind you. These three here. Yeah. Yeah. Those are very cool. I think these are really, these are really neat. 
these these kind of three right here, the fly and like this fish, and I'm not sure what this is. It's that's a good question. That's I I when I posted it originally, I asked people what they saw in it because I just wanted to see if what kind of things people saw, and everyone sees something very different, which is kind of fun. I, I really enjoy doing that style, but I've had some people say it looked kind of like a crustacean of some kind, just yeah. a creature. I saw kind of a, a weird three-eyed rabbit um, wearing like a ruff or something, and he has a monocle on one eye. And <laughs> that's what I saw when I made it, but other people had all sorts of <laughs> things in there. Uh, who's uh and then oh uh you also have a really fun cat uh yeah and that's a uh i guess it's a it's a siamese cat a sphinx sphinx it's a sphinx yeah yeah and uh, so jenna benna art and jenna benna art everybody if you're if you're interested (laughs) in following good uh local artists um you know make sure you give make sure you give uh jenna benna art a follow um and uh, so, and what uh, what do you like to do? Uh, what do you like to do for fun um, besides painting? Do you like to do anything else for fun? Yeah, I like to get outside in Utah as much as I can, and getting back into climbing since COVID has been re- really fun. It's something I missed a lot, and so I've been taking a climbing class. It's a women's climbing group it's called bad girls bouldering club so bad girls bouldering club very nice. terrible name but good <laughs> environment <laughs> so that's been fun <laughs> very cool that sounds that sounds fun i've never um gosh i rock climbing seems like a really fun activity it's something that i've never gotten into but i think about it all the time and uh, uh i like to just ride my bike i ride my bike a lot and i play golf and um and and I don't know. One day maybe I'll 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 pick up rock climbing. And I'm I am about to get into kiteboarding. I have my first oh. kiteboarding lesson up at Deer Creek this Sunday, which I'm very excited about. That um, sounds cool. And so that's so then when I go to the beach, when I go to the beach, when I go to Bermuda, when Amy and I go to Bermuda, you know, I can go <laughs> kiteboarding. Yeah, that's also part of the the shtick there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, uh, well, very good. Bol- the Bad Girl Bouldering Club. Bad Girl Bouldering Club. Bad Girls Bouldering Club, yeah. Bad Girls Bouldering Club, okay, yeah. great. Well, I'll keep an eye out for them on social media. Tattoos are not included. They're not necessary. Oh, They're not, not necessary. <laughs> Pretty uh, much everyone's tattooed. So. Yeah. Uh, do you, you have tattoos, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do not uh, have any. What, uh, what, how many tattoos do you have? I have four right now. I would like to get another one, and it's fine at Facet because they're pretty casual, and as long as I'm not meeting with a client, then it wouldn't be a problem or anything, but I really want a sleeve tattoo. And I always think of Mason from Albion. I don't know if I should say this. He might be mad if I said that. (laughs) (laughs) He's had so many tattoos. He's covered in tattoos and he's had a career in this industry. So maybe I can make it work. But the idea of always having to wear like a long sleeve in front of a client, especially if I do go work for a more conservative company at some point would be challenging, questionable. Yeah. Hopefully that changes with our generation getting older, that tattoos are not such an issue. Right. Um, well, so let's talk a little bit now about, um, about facet kind of how you, how you learned about facet, um, what you like about it, what's different about it. Um, it seems like a really interesting, uh, I guess to use a word from earlier, kind of like uh, blazing a trail in, 
in financial planning like that's a little bit different than most financial planning companies. So maybe just um, talk about why you chose to to work there and talk about like the company kind of in general. Yeah, Facet is is definitely a very different place from either Albion or Integrated where I worked before the more traditional financial planning companies. And I wasn't, I wasn't even looking for anything else. I was enjoying working at Albion and things were a little bit chaotic during COVID times. I feel like that was, you know, not the most ideal setup in a lot of ways, but it was during COVID. And so I'd already gotten kind of used to working remotely. I had a good friend from UVU who contacted me and told me that they were hiring and she thought that I'd be a really good fit for the company and the culture. And so I decided, you know, I might as well interview, see what I think of this place. And along the way, it was like, I went into it feeling very much like I'm going to get information about this place and didn't think I was going to leave Albion. And with each interview, I felt like I was starting to want it more and more. And I had to do five interviews there. So it was a long process, but it was, you know, really by that last one that I was set on it. And I felt like I would be very disappointed if they didn't ask me to come work there. And then they came through, offered me the job. It was a really good offer from where I was at as well. And I loved their mission. I, I love the mission. That's a huge part of why I like FACET and what they do because they are shaking up the entire industry. They are not requiring you to have a million dollars to be a client and you can have student loan debt that you need help figuring out how to pay off and you can come in on you know their lower end of their fees and if it's in your best interest, they'll take you on as a client. But if it's still, you know, if, if you have a lot of debt and cash flow issues, they, they wouldn't take people on if it's not in their best interest, but they might recommend they come back in a year once they've taken care of a couple of things. But I think it's really amazing to be able to work with people my age, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, who are in that accumulation phase of life. And it's something that in the more traditional RIA space, especially you don't really get that because most of the people are retired or close to retired and you're working with a really specific group most of the time. And usually people have accumulated a ton of wealth. So there's a lot of different aspects that come with that specifically. And I enjoy that there's a huge range and yeah, there are clients that are millionaires as well, but it's, there's also people whose net worth statements look exactly like mine and it's really cool to be able to see that there's people in every stage of life that come to facet for advice and and you started out there um i guess like what does what do you how would you describe a financial planner like if somebody if you're like oh i'm a financial planner and somebody's like what is that Uh, how would you answer that question it's a difficult question because it's not, it's not a regulated title. It's not something like an attorney where you can't call yourself that if you don't have certain credentials. So if somebody asked, I, w- I would say you'd have to ask more questions, more follow-up questions if somebody said they were a financial planner because they could be somebody who exclusively sells insurance and they're really familiar with the insurance world. 
but they're also not going to provide you a comprehensive approach to your plan. They might be trying to just sell you a policy. Somebody else could say that they're a financial planner or counselor, and that could be really on the behavioral side of things, like we've talked about, the more psychology side of things. Or a lot of those people do call themselves more like the co financial coaches and stuff, but that's a little different. But I would say then being a CFP is a big difference than being a financial planner because a financial planner isn't legally bound to act in your best interest. They, they might know a lot about your finances. They might be able to help you in a lot of different ways and they might act in your best interest without saying that they wouldn't, but if they're a CFP, then they are bound to act as a fiduciary, act in your best interest at all times. And they would lose those marks if they did something against the ethics code and I think that's one of the best things about being this being a CFP is that ethics aspect of it really because people talk so much about like you study all the subject matter and you learn all of these technical things and memorize things and annual limits and rules and stuff like that and those things are important but I think that really it's the ethics that you should be aware of that if people have those marks that they are going to be bound to act in your best interest at all times. And I think that that's, yeah. So basically it would require more follow-up. Somebody said that, you know, what kind of company do you work for? Oh, do you have any sort of certifications or did you study this? Did you just go work for a company that offered you a job? You know, so it is a really broad range. And I think that's why people don't always understand what it means. Yeah. I think that's but, a hard thing about the. Uh, I think that's a hard thing about the private wealth management business, um, or the financial planning business, or just maybe the financial industry in general. Um, is it is kind of uh, it's kind of niche. It's kind of clicky. It's um, unless you're like really in it, um, it's kind of hard to understand sometimes what the differences are between maybe a financial coach, a financial planner, a portfolio manager, a financial advisor. Um, uh, yeah, somebody selling you insurance, um, and uh, you know maybe and something that you mentioned earlier, estate planning. Like, how do I figure out how to set? You know, how do I figure out? Um, you know, what the best way is to. Uh, should I open a 529? Should I open a trust? Should I open, uh, you know, how do I pass wealth down to my kids? Um, like, who do I ask those questions to? Do I get in a, do I get a CPA? Or should I talk to a CPA? It's kind of like, you know, it, it's, and, and sometimes I don't even know the answers to those questions. You know, sometimes I don't even know. I mean, it's, it's hard. Uh, uh, it's sometimes hard um, in the financial industry. Um, but um, um so I guess if, if you were going to, um, uh, you started out at Facet as an associate planner, you're now a mm -hmm. financial planning researcher. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think, what's kind of like the goal, do you think, for your career or like your dreams? Um, like, where do you kind of uh, want to get to? So I've actually been thinking a lot about getting a PhD now that I'm <laughs> getting my master's because I'm apparently addicted to uh, a glutton for punishment. Yeah. You just love it. <laughs> yes. But I, after taking that behavioral finance course at, yeah. in the master's program, I became really 
really interested in that what's kind your, of thing. What's your favorite like behavioral bias? Do you do you is there a behavioral bias that really resonates <laughs> with you? Mine is mine. I feel like is probably like regret aversion. Like I don't. I I sometimes fear making a decision because I don't want to make a bad one. Um, you know, so I'm like, I'd rather just do nothing. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Have uh, you read Thinking Fast and Slow? Oh, of course. Yeah, I've read it. Like okay, because I was gonna say that's. I feel like that came from that book. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a favorite one. I I do like the concept of cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias, partly because you see those in finance, but you also see that so much in real life, and yeah. you know people wanting their worldview to stay the same and using you know not knowing that it's confirmation bias at work that they're only looking for things that already confirm their current beliefs rather than ever looking at the opposite side of things and right. people do the exact same thing with their money all the time they research the thing that they want to invest in and they look at all the good reasons to buy crypto they don't look at the bad reasons <laughs> <laughs> whatever there is you know yeah and um well, yeah, those confirmation, and that's so I feel like uh, poignant in terms of, uh, of just like politics and how people um, just reaffirm their beliefs all the time around politics um, um, or the environment or just kind of anything. Those are very popular. Um, so I'm sorry, I, I, I wanted to ask you that behavioral bias question because I thought that was, but you were talking about getting a PhD um, and that kind of being like the, your next step or like your, your goal, your, your next goal. Yeah, I, I've gotten super interested in the behavioral finance side of things and looking into what kind of programs are out there for behavioral finance or behavioral economics. And I've realized I'm not, I'm actually not sure that I'm aiming to be an advisor anymore because I'm a lot more of an introvert than I originally realized. And I like talking to people, but I can't do it on a really large scale. And so and that's one of the things, facet advisors are an extremely high volume. Mm. And they might have 20 to 30 meetings a week. And that's so that's much for me. I definitely couldn't do that without getting burnt out. And I'm amazed by the planners. There's so many amazing, I mean, usually really extroverted planners at facet who are, who love it and who thrive on that. But I, at facet in particular, don't think I could do that. I think I could meet with more of like the RAA type of, speed where it's maybe you know a handful of meetings a week and but then on the flip side of that I really do love facets offering and so I don't have plans to leave there but anyway so I, I want to continue my education when it comes to the behavioral finance side of things and the psychology and I would like to get into doing more research on those things and especially looking into the way that you were raised and how that affects your current mm. spending. That's a topic that's really fascinating to me. And I'd like to learn more about it and do research on that and, you know, maybe write research papers or books at some point in time. But I also still want to continue combining my art side and the graphic design side with things. So along the way, I want to create materials that help people learn and to do it in a really readable, simple way and, to try to make things seem less convoluted because I think there's so much in this industry where it's like almost seems like it's trying to confuse people. So they have to pay somebody to explain it to them. I, um, I'm forgetting the name of the guy. I can't, uh, Jason loves him. Um, Carl, uh, he draws the pictures. Carl Richards. 
Carl yeah. Richards. Yeah. yeah. And uh, your pictures would be better than that, though, right? <laughs> but Carl Richards is great at Carl Richards is great. so simply. And his is definitely on the psychology side of things, too, which is right. cool. That's kind of like what you're talking about, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for anybody that hasn't checked out Carl Richards, uh, it's really great. Um, uh, he says a lot, you know, a picture says a thousand words. Uh, he's, his, his pictures are, are really good at that because uh, his pictures are really simple. A simple picture says like 10,000 words, I guess, maybe uh, <laughs> could be how you could interpret some of his, uh, some of his work. So yeah, Carl Richards, very cool. Um, I think he's what his website is behaviorgap.com. Behaviorgap.com. Check out behaviorgap.com. Hopefully that's him. <laughs> <laughs> if not yeah sorry we sent you down a rabbit hole we can check real quick <laughs> yeah um and uh well um so very cool what um i guess you know what advice would you um if somebody was thinking about uh pursuing a career in in financial planning um what advice would you give that person who was you know trying to um trying to either make that decision or has made that decision and is trying to figure out their you know their path I think that if you are interested in doing the research when it comes to a lot of, if you like looking at IRA rules and a lot of these kind of IRS things and tax stuff and learning more about estate planning, you have to be really interested in a lot of these different topics because these things update so frequently. And if you're not, if you're really bored by that stuff, which a lot of people are, then this probably wouldn't be the best thing for you. But if you are interested in that stuff and you want to learn it for your own benefit and to benefit people around you, then that's a really good sign that you want to do this. And I think that also to be a good financial advisor and more and more is coming out on this, you really have to be good with people. You have to be good with empathizing with people and understanding where they're coming from because a lot of the time it's not about the money. It's about the behavior behind what they're doing and the behavior behind the money. And so I think being good with people, wanting to know about people's lives, wanting to understand people is probably more important in, a, in so many ways, but you also do have to care about that subject matter because otherwise you're not going to know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's good advice. And, um, um, you know, I know that, uh, it's a hard, it's kind of a, a tough industry to, you know, you have to, I mean, you did internships, you've got advanced degrees. It's, it's a competitive industry and it's sometimes kind of hard to break into. Um, so I always, I mean, I, my, from my personal experience, I started out in operations and, uh, you know, moved to Albion where I kind of did lots of stuff. I got some good experience, um, you know, with performance, and, uh, you know, now my role at Zions, I really enjoy, um, which is more of like a research, like due diligence role. And um, so I don't think you even told me you left Albion. Yeah, I started a job at Zions Bank uh, on April 19th. Oh, you did not tell me that. <laughs> uh, well, I thought I just assume I guess I just I guess I just assume that everybody's always on LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, no, I started a job um, on their private wealth management team um, at Zions Bank um, on April 19th doing, um, I'm like the research analyst for our um, internal like wealth management platform. So I do like all mm. of our mutual fund due diligence, annual reviews, um, regulatory reviews. Um, it's a really great opportunity, a great role because 
I get to meet with, um, you know, portfolio managers um, from all over the country. I get to learn about their strategies, um, you know, ask them questions. Uh, and then, you know, eventually, kind of like to your point earlier, um, eventually, I think uh, maybe start meeting with clients and being able to talk to them about their portfolios and why they're performing, you know, and their performance um, and kind of like work with the, you know, partner with the advisor and um, helping the client like achieve their goals. And so I think that's, uh, it's a really great job. It's really a cool opportunity. And, uh, but, and it's, it's something that I've always wanted. I always wanted to get into a place where I was doing research, where I was working for portfolio managers. Like my, I work for the four portfolio managers and we kind of work on, on different portfolio solutions for different clients. And, um, and so I've always wanted to be in a role like that, where I could like work for portfolio managers and come up with solutions for portfolios. And, um, um, and it took me a long time to get there. It took me a long time to get there. And so I think that's, you know, kind of something about this industry is that, uh, you know, you might know where you want to go, but, um, it might be, it might be kind of hard to get there and, and you might get there and you might realize this is, this is not what I, <laughs> you might get there. Yeah, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is, this is, uh, this is not actually what I want to do. Um, well, and I started off thinking for sure I was wanting to head to an advisor track and that's where Albion was heading I was headed to Albion in that direction and then in my associate role at Facet that's where I was headed and then this researcher role opened up and I was like that that is what I need to do that's more of my personality that's gonna fit my design into it and that's important to me at this point and I don't really know exactly like the very far out long term I feel like I'm just taking this a little bit at a time and trying to make it into the thing that I want it to be and you know who knows what exactly is going to happen in the long term but I do feel like there's I think it still is an industry though if you get into it it does open up a lot of avenues to go in different directions like the a lot of people start in operations or like on the trading team or something like that and then they end up on the business management side of the company or there's a lot of different or people end up in sales. Like I have a friend who's been on an advising team at Vanguard and moved over to sales. And then now it's kind of actually trying to come to facet in operations and people move around a lot and try to figure out what part of it fits with their personality the best. And I think that's a cool part of the industry because there's a lot of different sides of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Jen, this has been a really great, uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about, you know, your, your experience and uh, talking about finance. It's always nice to have uh, another finance person on here. I haven't had a lot of, I've had a couple of finance people on here, David um, and my other friend and my friend Harrison. Um, and um, um, well, and I guess my friend Kyle, but, uh, but you and I, they, they kind of have different, they kind of had different, uh, I mean, you and I have a very similar, uh, financial background and financial track. So it's nice mm -hmm. to have somebody, uh, so parallel, uh, to me, <laughs> uh I guess. And, um, uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Sorry it took me so long. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs>
Was the springtime of winter Was the summer of the fall 